Good evening. Good to have you with us this evening. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, here's what we read. It says, As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. The message that we glean from that passage most often is, what a great, faithful response by these men, right? They dropped everything to follow Jesus, and that's how we should be. We should be able to drop everything at the drop of a hat to follow Jesus. But then I think, what about Zebedee? What about him? I mean, you're watching your sons walk away, not knowing if you're ever going to see them again. I mean, how crucial were the sons to his business? These sons that you had reared, that you'd spent all this time with, they're walking away. How do you think he must have felt? And maybe some of you can sympathize. You dropped your kids off at daycare for the first time and you bawled your eyes out. You dropped them off on the first day of kindergarten and you bawled your eyes out. You saw them graduate fifth or sixth grade and you bawled your eyes out. You saw them walk across the stage and receive their high school diploma and you bawled your eyes out. You dropped them off at college and you bawled your eyes out all the way home after leaving them there. Maybe you can sympathize. Maybe you know what it's like to turn loose of your kids. That's what we're talking about tonight. As we talk about different transitions in life, we're looking at empty nest. I think most of us, at least, that have turned loose of our kids can sympathize with, with what I'm talking about here. Some of you, when I was going through that list of bawling your eyes out, some of you were smiling because maybe it wasn't that way for you. Maybe you were crying tears of joy because your child actually left the house, finally. My good friend, neighbor, and preacher at Highway 36, Greg Melton, said the best part about getting your whole family together at Christmas is the lights. I said, really? And he goes, yeah, the taillights when they leave. <laughs> and if you're like me, you know, I, I'm very close to empty nest. Uh, I've got a senior in high school, then in the fall we'll drop off eight and a half hours from here. And when my girls left, it was sad. It was more sad when Keely came back at, at Thanksgiving and we got to see her. And that's when it really hit me with, with Zoe. It was a little different because, uh, you know, she was, she was ready to go. And quite honestly, we were ready for her to kind of spread her wings. But what was interesting is, you know, when you think about emptiness, you think about these transitions and everything, what you're so sad about on the front end, they kind of upset the apple cart when they come home, don't they? Those of you who have experienced that, they, they come home after a while and you're kind of like, okay, isn't it time for you to go back? Um, maybe you've experienced that. I've talked to folks who have gone through empty nest, tried to get their opinion, and I would say 99.9% .9 of the people that I talked to have said, you'll love it. Best thing ever, it's great. I did have one person that said it was horrible. Said nothing good about it at all. Some have described it as an amputation. Every time a child leaves the house, Every time they go out on their own, it's like you're losing another limb. I don't know what's true there. I guess we'll find out. 
But I can vividly remember when Zane was about 10 or 11, I was invited to speak in Denver, Colorado for a weekend, and I, I, I took him out of school Thursday and Friday. It was a quick trip, Thursday through Sunday. I took him with me, and I, I remember thinking, I'm going to make this a dude's trip, and we're going to have fun, and I'm going to take advantage of an opportunity with just me and him alone. And I can remember coming home and looking over and seeing him asleep in the car there and just thinking to myself, this is about to be over. I just remember shedding a few tears there thinking, you know, he's growing up so fast. And they tell you that. Folks tell you that all the time. Well, enjoy it, cherish it, because they grow up fast. You think, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Not fast enough. But it does. It goes by quickly. I also think of it like this. They don't want to be there anyway. I mean, that's part of it. That's one thing that helps me through it is they don't want to stay there. They don't want to be at home forever anyway. They want to spread their wings. They want to get out on their own. So why am I so sad about them leaving? I try to kind of cover it up that way. Plus, it's kind of weird after about 25 and they're still at home, isn't it? There's that fine line there. We want you to stay around a little longer, but not too long. But if you look at Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, it reads like this. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby, as he lay in the manger... And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them by this child, about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Notice that Mary treasured all these things. As the shepherds crowded around and the angels rejoiced, Mary treasured. Soon enough, the world would have her son. Soon enough, prophecy would be fulfilled. But that night, that night, and the formative years that followed belonged to her. That was her baby boy. Every coo, every cry was for her ears. Every bruised knee was for her lips to kiss. Every curious question was for her to answer. Every goodnight kiss was reserved for her. In due time... Her son would die for the sins of the world, but for now, she treasured motherhood and the baby boy that she was blessed to raise. As parents, you know what this is like. I've seen the Facebook posts. First day of school picture in kindergarten, first day of school picture when they're in like the sixth grade or maybe a senior, and you say, where's the time gone? It's flown by so fast. In the blink of an eye, they're driving they're talking about what college they're going to go to, maybe even getting married. And, you know, the wise Solomon spoke something about the seasons of life. He said there is an appointed time for everything. There is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot what is planted, and so on and so forth. If this, if this passage of Scripture shows us anything, it shows us that there are different stages in life. There are various seasons in life. There is change. That's just how it is, and we better get accustomed to that. We can sit around and we can wallow and we can cry and we can moan or we can, we can do something about it. We can move forward because the book hasn't ended. The page is going to be turned whether you want it to be or not. The story is still being written. It isn't over. And so we have two potential responses here. We can wallow or we can move ahead. And we can fill the empty nest with something. You know, in basketball and football, there's this thing called halftime. I'm sure you've heard of it. And halftime is where the teams go into the locker room and they regroup. 
if they're doing well, the coach encourages them to keep doing what they're doing. If they're doing bad, he yells at them to do better, right? That's basically what halftime is spent doing. When I was coaching, I would go every year to the Arkansas Razorbacks basketball camp where I would listen to Nolan Richardson speak, and Nolan Richardson was the most inspiring guy I've ever heard. Man, he'd get me fired up to coach basketball. That guy was standing up there yelling and, and hollering, and he'd, he'd dab his forehead because he'd get so sweaty. Love that man. And he said this. He said, the team that has to adjust at halftime usually wins. Now, of course, you have to speak in realistic terms. If you're down 30 points at halftime, you're probably not going to win. But if you're down 5, 10 points, I mean, Nolan Richardson said, the team that has to adjust at halftime usually wins. And so think about that in terms of parenting, in terms of this transition to empty nest. At this stage in your life, this is halftime. And the adjustments that you make are going to determine how well you succeed after this. An empty nest doesn't have to mean an empty life. Making the proper adjustments, I think, depends on a few factors. Number one, it depends on your relationship with your spouse. If you don't have a great relationship with your spouse while your kids are at home, the chances are that's going to be a difficult transition when your kids leave. Secondly, your relationship with other things. If you were able to find satisfaction in a hobby of some kind while your kids were at home, then obviously that transition is going to be made a little easier. And third, your relationship with God. If your relationship with God has been put on hold, if, you're, if, if God has not been a priority in your life while your kids were growing up, then obviously that transition is going to be more difficult. But here's the deal. Even if you have failed in all of these areas, you have much more time now to get it right. You have been afforded the time and the opportunity to invest in those spiritual disciplines, to invest in your wife, to invest in a hobby, so that you can make that successful transition. And this is not just good advice for those who are transitioning. This is good life advice in general, isn't it? Invest in your spouse, invest in a relationship with God, invest in something to kind of take your mind off things. Start with a relationship with God. It's a simple fact that we're just busier nowadays. And I could launch into a sermon about how we have so many things going on that God is not a top priority, but we're not going to go any further. I would just say that in the hurriedness and busyness of life, God has taken a back seat a lot of times. In a lot of families, God is not the priority that he should be. So now would be a good time to invest, to go all in. I know of folks who, who put off serving as a deacon or a Bible class teacher because they were raising kids and they didn't feel like they had time. Now you have time. Now is the time that you can invest in those things. James wrote, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Oftentimes, married couples find that once the kids are gone, they have forgotten what it's like to just be the two of them. They stare across the table at each other and say, who are you? And so now you have time to invest in a relationship with one another, in a relationship with God. Many people haven't been drawing near to God because they didn't put the emphasis on it like they should. Paul wrote, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. A lot of times at halftime, the coach will preach fundamentals. He'll say something like, we got to get back to the basics. We got to get back to the fundamentals. And maybe that's what you need to do as well. Maybe you need to get back to the fundamentals, back to the basics, prayer, Bible study, service investing in a relationship with the Lord, with his church, making him a priority when maybe you didn't before. 
I think the same could be said for our marriage. You know, maybe it's time that you make your marriage the priority that it should have been all along. You've heard me say over and over again, children come third in a marriage. Some people don't like that, but it, it should be the case. Before there were children, there were just the two of you. Before there were, you know, Keely, Zoe, and Zane, there was Libby and Chris. And it's that way with all of us who have children. God comes very first. Then it's the couple. Then it's the children. But I believe this with all my heart. Your children won't suffer if you put them third. In fact, they will benefit greatly. You know, I kind of make it my goal to gross out my kids. I don't know how many times that the kids will walk in the room and I'm giving Libby a kiss or holding her hand. Dad, stop, stop. But ultimately, I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to gross out your kids. I think it's good to know, for them to know, that the two of you come first. That we love you with all of our heart. We're going we're gonna to do everything we can to provide for you, to sustain you, to, to help you be successful, both spiritually and in life. But at the end of the day, we're not going to make an idol out of you. Some say, well, my, my world just revolves around my kids. It shouldn't be that way. It's not the way it should be. Your world should revolve around God. Put God first, let it trickle down. Put your marriage second, put your kids third. And I think, I really believe that you'll be better off for it. And so when you find yourself with an empty nest, get back to dating your spouse. Find some shared interest, travel, sit down and talk. Look back together on the time that you had before you had kids. Get back to that. If there was even a time before you had kids, if you can even remember back that long, what did you enjoy doing together? How did you spend your time? Your lives will seem much less empty if you remember that you still have one another. I'll be honest with you, Libby and I have kind of looked forward. Not that we're trying to get Zane gone any sooner, but we've kind of, we've kind of looked forward to the day that we have some time. We never really had a honeymoon. It will be nice to have that. I know of uh, one gentleman who told me we, we knew that it was going to be a sad day when we dropped our child off at college, and so we dropped him off, and we drove to Galveston, and we got on a cruise ship. And that's how we celebrated. That's how we, uh, that's how we licked our wounds, is we, we spent 10 days on a cruise. Maybe that's something you need to do. But the writer of Proverbs says, He who finds a, a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Before there were ever anybody else, any other members of the family, it was just the two of you. Get back to just the two of you. You know, we, uh, Libby and I have had conversations about what we're going to do when the nest is empty, and I confided in her that I was a little bit anxious because uh, so much of my time is spent coming to work, and then my whole day at work really revolves around, okay, well, when is Zane's game, and, and where do I need to finish up so that I can get to wherever it is that he plays and all that, and, and you know, that ends abruptly. You know, you're, you're chasing your kids around at different activities, and then all of a sudden, that's over. And I can tell that's going to be an abrupt end. So how do you handle that, right? And we, I've talked about how it's going to be different coming home and you know, what are you going to do with the rest of your evening? You know, now that you're not going to games and things like that or now that you're not you know, doing these other activities, what, what's going to take the bulk of your time? And I really haven't spent a lot of time with other activities. I really hadn't invested in a lot of hobbies and things like that. And so we were discussing this and you know, a lot of hobbies cost a lot of money, and so, you know, you look at that, and you say, well, you know, I, I, I got golf, but I could play, I could pay a lot of money to go out there and get frustrated and break, break clubs, and I don't think I want to do that, and 
But, you know, I think it's important that we find something to invest in. And some people say, well, I'll just work more. I can get so much more done. That's not always healthy either, right? I mean, I know you love your job and all that, but sometimes you need a break from that too as well. I go back to Solomon who wrote, Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun, for this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. I intend to enjoy life with my wife when my kids are gone, and I think that's okay. I think God made us for, for enjoying things in this life. I think he made his creation so that we could enjoy it, and I think there's nothing wrong with investing in certain things in this life to take our mind off of things, off of work, whatever it is, off of our sorrow of our kids leaving. I think it's important that maybe we fill that empty nest with things that maybe bring us fulfillment and pleasure that allow us to kind of take our mind off of the stresses of this life. You know what's interesting about all of this is if we were to do all these things before the kids left home, then the transition would be a lot easier, right? Put God first, put your marriage before your kids, find things you enjoy doing, do them now with your kids. Then as they leave home, you can find pleasure in continuing to do these things with your spouse. I think the key is, and you can correct me on this, some of you have more experience. I don't want this to be me lecturing you on what to do, because I don't really know what to do. It's kind of like when my kids were first born. I, I really couldn't tell you how to raise teenagers, right? But I think the key is not leaving the, the nest empty. I think that's the key. Don't leave it empty. It doesn't have to be empty. It may feel empty. One day it's, it's filled with, with laughter and, and, and other things, and then the next day it's not. And, of course, there are some positives, right? Less laundry, less groceries, less drama. Certainly there are some positives to look at. But there are some things that you have to get accustomed to. And we might think, at least from time to time, that we'll never make the adjustment. But I think we can look at the emptiness as an opportunity to embrace a new life. Because the exciting thing about the next chapter is that it hadn't been written yet. That's at least the way I'm going to look at it. I read the story the other day about a woman by the name of Linda Burnett. Linda was visiting her in-laws, and she went to the grocery store. And several people walked by her car and got concerned. Because she was sitting in it with her hands behind her head and her eyes closed. People began tapping on the window just to check and see if she was okay. She didn't respond. Some people eventually tried to open the door, but it was locked from the inside. There was growing concern until finally somebody was able to, to get the door open, and they found Linda Burnett lying unconscious. Once she came to, the story was this. She was sitting in her seat about to leave, and a can of Pillsbury biscuits that she had in the back seat exploded from the heat. It shot a wad of biscuit and hit her in the back of the head. She thought it was a gunshot, and she reached back and felt the dough and thought her brains were coming out. So she put both hands there to hold her brains in, and she passed out. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because things aren't always as bad as they seem. 
Sometimes your brains are really just a, a wad of biscuits. And that's what I keep trying to tell myself when it comes to these different transitions that we've been talking about, that I'm about to experience, or maybe that I have experienced, is that it, it may not be as bad as I think it's going to be. That perhaps there's some optimism here, something that we can look forward to. And maybe, maybe you've gone through the emotions of, of empty nest, and, and you've considered it to be the worst fate ever. If so, please don't tell any of us that. We don't want to hear it. I think the key is not leaving the nest empty. I have had some people say, well, you know, you could just start all over again, and I say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Transitions in life are not always easy. We can poke fun, we can laugh, but the truth is, they're not always easy. And if we can help you in some way with those transitions, if you're going through some sort of transition in your life tonight and you need the prayers and support of this church family, maybe, maybe you're hurting for another reason and you need prayer. Maybe you want to study the Bible with someone. Maybe you're ready to put on Christ in baptism. Whatever need you have, Dave's going to come sing a song. Please feel free to come forward as we stand and as we sing.